0: Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gonzalez. My goal for the podcast is to help you live a better life in retirement by giving you the tools and information you need in a language that you can understand. I started this podcast as a financial advisor in St. Louis, Missouri, with clients in about 20 different states. And the reason I started the podcast is because so many people had so many questions about retirement issues, and they had nowhere to turn. Maybe their financial advisor didn't know the answers to their question because they didn't specialize in retirement. And with retirement questions, it's not like you can go to your HR benefits and get all the information and advice from them. Some people turn to their friends and family, and sometimes they get good answers, and other times they get bad information. So I wanted the Retirement Made Easy podcast to be that voice that talks about the different issues that people approaching that retirement age are going through, whether it's their pension planning, maybe it's retirement income planning, or maybe it's Medicare and how you go about starting your Medicare health insurance, at what age you do it, when's too late, when's too early. Should you pay off your house before retirement? Do you still need life insurance in retirement? What about long-term care insurance? I've heard it's too expensive and it's a ripoff. My brother-in-law says that he bought an annuity. Is an annuity right for me? These are all questions that I've had listeners ask, and quite frankly, so many of them are just confused and don't know where to turn. So I wanna be that voice. So if you have questions, visit my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. That's retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. You can ask your question at the bottom of the website right there. It says, ask Greg a question. So on today's episode, I wanted to talk about a question that I had submitted about Medicare and when to claim Medicare, when's the right time. And I also wanted to talk about some of the proposed tax changes that Congress is kind of going over right now. And that should give us an idea of what's to come, who's going to be impacted, what these changes look like. And I think it goes without saying that taxes have to go up at some point. We've got to pay for all this stimulus, all this borrowing. Taxes have to go up. It may not be in the short term, in the next year or two, but it may be three, four, five years down the road. I think it is pretty clear And if you ask anybody what direction are taxes headed in this country, most people would tell you, the vast majority of people would tell you that they're going up. Now, this is my podcast, so I can tell you what I agree with and what I don't agree with and why, because I'm entitled to my opinion. So I'll share those opinions and I'll also share where taxes are projected to go up and what they're trying to pass in this new law. Which many people have heard. It's called the American Families Plan. And it should never surprise you when they're trying to push through some kind of agenda, but then they always tack on all these other things that have nothing to do with the main point of the bill. And it ends up getting passed into law. And you've got all these other secondary and really less favorable ideas that are going into law, which that's the part that I don't like. So we're going to talk about that on the second segment of the show. So I wanted to remind listeners to check out my free resources on the website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. Whether it's my couple's guide to a dream retirement, it's absolutely free to download. You can also find my 2021 tax planning guide and my retirement secret sauce right there on the website. The secret sauce, I lay out the ingredients that in my opinion will allow you to have the recipe for a successful retirement. You've got to have these ingredients right. It's kind of like if you're preparing a dish and you forget the salt or the pepper, it's just not going to taste right. So there's certain ingredients you don't want to forget. Like I had a couple that we were putting together and walking them through a retirement plan, and we started asking about Social Security, and they said, well, forget about Social Security. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) No, let's talk about Social Security and help you understand it, because Social Security is going to be there for you for the rest of your life. It's an important ingredient to your retirement plan. So don't forget about Social Security. Don't forget about Medicare. So if you haven't already, check out my retirement secret sauce underneath the resources tab of my website. All right, let's jump into today's episode where we talk about Medicare basics as well as the upcoming changes that are being proposed for the American Families Plan. So, I had an email or someone that went to the website and submitted their question, and it was talking about the enrollment period for Medicare. They said that they were turning 65 this year and wanted to make sure they didn't miss the deadline. Are there any tips that they should know about ahead of time? And I got to thinking about this kind of the process. When's the initial enrollment period? But there's also something called a special enrollment period. So, Your initial enrollment period is three months before you turn 65 and three months after you turn 65. So you've got a six month window there. Again, it's three months before you turn 65 and then three months after your 65th birthday. Now there's many people that work past 65. Let's say you work for a company that offers great health insurance and you wanna work until you're 68. Well, guess what? You then would be able to stay on your health insurance through work until you're 68 and you plan to retire, and you would be eligible for what's called a special enrollment period. That's different than an initial enrollment period, which is when you turn 65. So the special enrollment period is actually an eight-month window upon retiring, So during that window, you're basically letting Medicare know that, hey, I'm retiring. I'm having a change of status where I'm going from working covered under an employer-sponsored health insurance plan, and I am moving over to Medicare. So guess what? You're eligible. There's no health exam or anything like that. You're automatically eligible to jump on to Medicare. You can then purchase a Medicare supplement also known as a Medigap policy. Or if you wanted, you could look at a Medicare Advantage plan, also called a Medicare Plan C. Now, in this person's question, they mentioned their household income and how much they made while they were working, and it was $300,000. So I'm just going to assume here, hypothetically, that someone was turning 65 in the year 2021 And they wanted to start Medicare. They wanted to retire at 65 and jump on Medicare. But one thing that not too many people know is, is Medicare Part B, your Part B premium and your Part D premium, Part D is for drug. Those are based on your income, on your taxable income, right? So one thing is Medicare would actually look at automatically your taxable income for 2019. So they look at your income two years in the rear view mirror, so to speak, even though your income in 2021 is going to be a lot, lot less because you're only working maybe part of the year. You're not going to have the full $300,000 of taxable income because now you're retired. Your income is going to be a lot, lot lower. And presumably, it might have been a lot, lot higher in 2019. So if your income, your household income for a married couple is more than $176,000, you're going to pay what's called an IRMA tax. So you'll pay more for Medicare Part B and Medicare Part D if your income is greater than $176,000. But what I'm saying is Medicare automatically, if you're starting your Medicare in 2021, they're gonna look at your income two years ago in 2019. And if it was greater than 176,000, you're gonna pay more for Medicare Part B and Medicare Part D than you really should be. So how do you get around that? You have to submit a life-changing event form. It's called an SSA-44 form. And it basically lets Medicare know that, hey, you can't look at my income based on 2019's figures because now in 2021, when I'm starting my Medicare, my income's a lot, lot lower and I've had a life-changing event. In this case, it's a work stoppage. And so you need to basically let them know, hey basically price my Medicare Part B and D premiums based on my current income, what it's going to be, not what my income was two years ago. I hope that helps some people. Now, if your income is below $176,000 in 2019 and you're claiming your Medicare benefit this year in 2021, it's not a huge deal there. It's not going to impact you either way. But for those people that had higher incomes maybe two years ago, starting Medicare now, there's no sense paying more than you should be paying. Also, this person's question talked about a Medicare Advantage plan and how her coworker jumped on a Medicare Advantage plan. So Medicare Advantage plans, it's called Part C, right? So Medicare Advantage plan, they typically have low to zero premiums, a lot higher deductible. But the big thing about Medicare Advantage plans versus Medicare Supplement plans is you're within like a network of physicians. So it's kind of like the old PPO or HMO. So as long as you stay within that network, those plans work really well. For people who like to travel, maybe they're traveling to go see their kids and grandkids out of state, or out of the country, maybe they're taking a lot of trips. Think about that. There's probably a good chance that you might need care outside of your this specific network. And maybe a Medicare Advantage plan wouldn't make sense for you. I know they don't cover Medicare Advantage plans, don't cover people traveling overseas. So for those type of people, I would kind of lean them towards a Medicare supplement plan. I really would. It's something that you need to consider. And for me personally, I'm definitely going that Medicare supplement route, which is also called Medigap policies. The one thing I do like about the Medicare, well, there's a couple of things I like about the Medicare Advantage plans, but one thing that's certainly nice about them is you typically don't need to go get a Medicare Part D for drug. It's included in your Medicare Advantage plan. So again, that's Medicare Part C. So if you're turning 65 this year, You're thinking of starting your Medicare, getting a supplement plan, getting maybe a Part D for drug plan, or maybe you're looking at the Medicare Advantage plans. I don't know. I would start to maybe meet with an independent health insurance specialist that can kind of walk you through the different options. And that's just me. I would either meet face-to-face or over the phone with somebody who's independent and unbiased, hopefully, and is going to be able to kind of teach you how it all works And don't wait until the last minute. Again, the initial enrollment period for Medicare is three months before you're 65 up to three months after. It's a six-month window right there. Medicare is just one of those things that's going to be with you for the rest of your life. And every year you can kind of make changes to it. As far as open enrollment, you'll have that every fall, winter. So if you have some health changes. Maybe you can shift from one, maybe a Part D plan to another one based on your prescriptions. So I'll continue to kind of post more, I guess, talk more about Medicare as the episodes go on because I want people to be enlightened about it. And there are certain things that I always forget to talk about because it's kind of common sense, common knowledge to me. But I've got to remember that not everybody has the background and, and talks about this stuff every day like I do. So I'll remember to kind of bring up these tips and techniques that people may not be aware of or have ever heard of. So let's switch gears here. And I wanted to talk about the American Families Plan. This is the proposed tax changes of this next bill. And we have all heard all of the different politicians and great leaders that we have in this country and Congress. I say that with sarcasm they have been proposing all these different tax changes, basically trying to figure out ways how they can increase taxes in a bipartisan fashion. And one of them is, again, this American Families Plan. They're talking about raising the top tax bracket. It's currently at 37%. They wanna bump that up to 39.6, like it was before the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act also known as the Trump tax bill. In my opinion, that's probably going to happen. Raising the top tax bracket, again, from 37% to 39.6, it's not a big jump. And there has been a lot of talk about taxing the wealthy, the high-income earners, more. So I would think that's probably has a good chance of, of passing. One of the next items that's kind of on their list was capital gains and dividends, and they wanna start taxing capital gains and dividends for those that make more than a million dollars a year, so high-income earners. That limit used to be, remember they always talked about the $400,000 was the high-income earners, but for this proposal, it's looking like they're targeting the people who make a million dollars and more in this regard. So what they're saying is capital gains would then be taxed at as ordinary income and dividends would be taxed as ordinary income for those individuals making a million dollars or more. I think probably that has a good chance of passing. I really don't agree with that though because you know, for many, many years, we have had capital gains have preferential tax treatment. So anywhere from zero to 15 or 20%, if you start taxing capital gains and dividends, at 39.6% for these people making a million or more, that can be quite extravagant. I mean, essentially your capital gains, they're currently paying, let's say 20% capital gains for someone making a million dollars, a couple, and now they're going to be paying 396 which would be their ordinary income rate. That seems excessive, but who am I to judge here? The next thing, which I strenuously disagree with is the repeal of step-up of cost basis at death for gains exceeding a million dollars. Let me kind of explain this whole step-up on basis. One party in particular has been going crazy about trying to get rid of this step-up of basis upon death. So let's say my grandfather, just to kind of explain the step-up on basis at death, let's say my grandfather bought AT&T stock years and years ago for $50,000 and just let it grow and grow and grow. And that's his cost basis. That's what he paid for it. Let's say decades, let's say 50, 60, 70 years later, my grandfather passes away and he leaves his kids this stock, this AT&T stock. It's now worth $2 million. Again, he paid $50,000 for it. The way it used to work was, his kids would then inherit the money at $2 million, and then they'd be able to sell the stock the next day without paying any taxes because their capital gain, they would inherit it at the date of his death. So literally, they could sell it a short while later, and as long as it hadn't grown any since his date of death, they would pay no taxes and essentially get the $2 million of stock tax-free. I'm assuming... The stock is not in an IRA, by the way. I think that goes without saying. So, the step up on basis by getting rid of this in that same example, what they're doing is they're getting rid of, they're wanting to get rid of the step up on basis. So, upon receiving, inheriting the stock, my grandfather's kids would then have to pay capital gains taxes on anything over a million dollars. And really, what they're trying to do here is, I mean, they're saying this isn't an estate tax. This is really a form of an estate tax. It's trying to tax generational wealth that's going to the next generation, which I don't think is fair. The next thing they're trying to do, again, they're trying to look for all these angles to tax you, is 1031 exchanges. Let's say I bought a farm a long, long time ago for $100,000. Let's say it grew to a million dollars. I can sell that farm and buy another farm within 180 days. And it has to be a very similar farm, right? It's a like-kind farm. And as long as it is a a very similar farm, I have the same intentions with it as the farm that I sold for a million bucks, I can then do what's carry over my gains. So I had $900,000 of gains there that I'm carrying over to this next farm. Now, if I sell farm number two, I'm gonna pay the taxes on the gains there. But by doing the 1031 exchange, I'm selling farm number A and deferring the taxes and moving them into farm B, right? My second farm. So what this proposal is saying is, American Families Plan is saying that for 1031 exchanges that are uh, have a gain of over $500,000, They're not gonna allow those anymore. So in my example, I had a $900,000 gain, so I wouldn't be able to do a 1031 exchange when I bought farm number two, so I would pay capital gain taxes on 900 grand. Uncle Sam would be happy, and that's what this is all about. That's what these tax changes are all about. They're trying to get more tax dollars, tax revenues coming in, And it seems like to me, they're looking at the wealthy. So the people that have uh, capital gains of $500,000 or more when they're trying to defer that with a 1031 exchange for the people that are trying to pass a big gain on to the next generation via a step up on basis. Like in my example of my grandfather if he had all this million dollars of AT&T stock or two and a half million of AT&T stock, being able to get it to the next generation via this step up of basis. So more and more importantly, as a financial planner, I'm gonna have to, myself and other financial planners are gonna have to stay up to speed on all these different changes to the laws so we can kind of plan ahead. So if we know this, these are the rules of the taxes, well, basically, what do we got to do to avoid some taxes and position people correctly to avoid these big pitfalls? And you can say what you want, and I'm not going to get off on my soapbox here, but it seems like all these changes are all targeted towards the higher income, the people that are the higher net worth people. It's not the other way around. And lastly, the last proposal is what they've been talking about a lot, is increasing the corporate tax rate in this country back up to closer to 28%. I could see it probably being somewhere in the low to mid-20s. That's probably where it's going to end up. I personally do see that happening. That's not going to be good for inflation because think, if you start taxing Amazon and these companies, Walmart and Target and all these companies, great, you're going to tax them more. What are they going to do? They're going to pass off the extra expense. They're going to raise their prices. So who's going to pay for the tax increase? It's going to be you and me. We're going to pay for it because all they're going to do is increase their prices to offset the increase in corporate tax. So that kind of went against us, right? Right. So the problem is, is Congress doesn't have any finance people or economists standing up there saying, okay, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to the American household. They just don't get it. All right. I've had a lot of fun today going over these proposed tax changes. Hopefully they've enlightened you. And also the Medicare planning, kind of basic Medicare planning that people aren't aware of. Hopefully that'll also help you. Medicare is one of those things that. Actually, I've been, and and most of my clients have been fairly happy with, once you turn 65, you know, it's you've been paying into it for all these years, just like Social Security. Medicare people seem to be pretty happy with. One of the changes that they're trying to figure out in them, I mean Congress, is how can we change Medicare, get that down to age 60? And I don't see how that would work fiscally, how that would be a responsible move but I think 65 is a good place for it right now. And Medicare is one of those things that it's new to you once you get started. But once you kind of you get used to it, people are pretty satisfied. So if you have any questions, visit my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. I'll see you next week. And remember, always dream big. unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The Smart vester program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor SmartVestor are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No... Stra- Strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, Memra FINRA, SIPC.